Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in-store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Welcome to Move the Sticks. I'm Bucky Brooks, and I am flying solo for most of the day. My partner, Daniel Jeremiah, is out on vacation, kind of hanging out, doing what he does during the summer months. So I'm running the ship. I'm doing solo, but I am excited because we have a great guest on today. We have Pro Football Hall of Fame executive uh, Bill Polian joining us, and we're having a one-on-one conversation about everything that uh, you've ever wanted to know about scouting and the team building process. Um, He is fantastic. Um, So without further ado, let's just get to the interview. Here's my conversation with Bill Polian. Joining the Move the Sticks podcast, uh, someone who I've always wanted to talk to um, about the team building process, the scouting business, uh, pro football Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion, six-time NFL executive of the year, uh, Bill Polian, also the host of the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. How you doing, Mr. Polian? Good, Bucky. How are you? I, I can't tell you how excited I am because I feel like we have so many connections along the way. 
I feel like I've learned from you without even working for you. Obviously, I was drafted by the Buffalo Bills after you left the Buffalo Bills. And then I eventually worked as a scout for the Carolina Panthers. And a lot of your philosophies and ideologies still existed in both of those places. So I want to begin with the Buffalo Bills because I think it's an underrated dynasty that has never fully been appreciated. Uh, to have a team that you were a part of building, that went to four straight Super Bowls, can you just talk about them, the process, how special it was to be a part of that? Well, it was unique in a, in a lot of ways. Um, number one, we we and the Cowboys with the triplets were really the last of the pre-free agency teams. Our team stayed together for a long time, which was a neat thing. Uh, so that was unique. Secondly, uh, you know, when you go to the Super Bowl, just the length of the season and that last month, month and a half, where you're involved in the run to the playoffs and then ultimately the playoffs, it's just so pressure packed. They lose, they use the term in baseball high leverage, and, and that's absolutely right. That takes a lot out of you. People talk about a Super Bowl hangover, and it, and, it, and it isn't because you're partying or you don't you don't want to win. <laughs> or you're satiated after you win the Super Bowl or even after you lose, it's because that that six weeks leading up to it is just such a grind. Um, it's hard to come back from that. And Coach Levy did a miraculous, marvelous job getting our guys focused, and they did a marvelous job staying focused and hungry through the whole process. And um, And so that part of it is unique. And I think because of free agency and because there is so much media in this day and age, um, I don't think anybody will ever do that again. I mean, it's really hard to do. It's hard to do twice, much less four times in a row. Yeah, it's, it's an unbelievable run. And so and think about that. I come right at the end of that run. And that's my first exposure to a team. So my first exposure to a championship caliber team is one with a Hall of Fame quarterback, a Hall of Fame running back, a Hall of Fame wide receiver in Andre Reid, a Hall of Fame defensive end in Bruce Smith, another high-level player in Cornelius Bennett. And so when I think about team-building uh, processes, what is your team-building philosophy when it comes to the marquee positions? What are the marquee positions on a championship-caliber football team? Well, the, it changes slightly in the free agency area because of the salary cap. But having said that, um, the real issue is first, it starts with quarterback. Unless you have a quarterback who can win, not just manage the game, you have one who can win in December and in, in January, uh, you're not going to go where you want to go. It's really that simple. You have to have a wide receiver who can win against everybody. That means that he has to be good enough so that Bill Belichick can't take him away in a championship game. He's got to be good enough so that the really good defensive teams can't take him away. He's got to be able to make plays in that situation. You have to have a left tackle who can handle all the, all the pressure that you need to get. You have to have a center who controls the offensive line and who can make all the, all the calls. Um, nowadays, you pretty much need a right tackle who can who can play at a high level 
how you can get by with athleticism now at, at right tackle. You couldn't in the days when you were playing. By the way, I scouted you at North Carolina. You, you, oh. My fingerprints are on you coming <laughs> to the Bills. <laughs> I think I, I feel like I know you, you know, because of all the times I saw you play at Carolina. Um, in any event, and you need a running back who can carry the load um, down the stretch and, and through the playoffs. Most running backs nowadays can't go 16. When you stop and think about Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas, and that's the reason they're in the Hall of Fame, because they, they go 16 or 15. Um, but nowadays, you need two, but you have to have the bell cow, so to speak, who can, who can make plays and win games for you. Because what happens on offense is that the running back wins by making people miss and making big runs and making something out of nothing. Think about Le'Veon Bell and his heyday with the, with the Steelers. I mean, how many games did he win for them by ripping off a big run, whether it's in four minute or whether you, you know, you needed two yards for a first down or you needed to flip the field. Um, those kind you have to have that kind of back. You have to have that receiver who can make the play. Thinking staying with the Steelers, Antonio Brown. You have to have the, the quarterback. Big Ben is an example. And you got to have an offensive line, the two tackles in the center that can can basically do everything. They've got to pass protect. That's a must. But they also have to be good in the running game. And that goes to the offensive line coach. You have to, that's the one position where you have to have a coach who can manage his position totally on his own. And, and get the most out of the guys that he has and, and essentially create a run game where his guys can shine. Um, that, that, that's a must. When you hire a staff, I would argue that the offensive line coach is probably the most important guy in the whole operation as far as assistant coaches are concerned because he's on his own by himself. I mean, he doesn't get any work with anybody else other than the defensive line coach. Yeah. Um, you have to have a kicker who can win in the clutch in every single situation, every kind of weather, every kind of pressure, indoors, out. It doesn't make any difference. That guy has to be able to come through in the clutch. And kickers win championships. When we went to Carolina, I think our first free agent signing, big free agent signing was John Casey. Yeah. And people say, well, are you crazy You're signing a kicker? Well, not if you want to win championships. Uh, you have to have a, 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 not only reliable, but a guy who's really good in the clutch because that's where games are won and lost at the championship level. Um, then on defense, you have to be able to rush the passer. And you have to be able to, in this day and age, if you're going to really be good, and almost from the time that we were in Buffalo, but certainly from the time Tom Brady and Peyton Manning were in their heyday, uh, you have to be able to rush from the inside. You have to have a guy who can get it done inside. Because if you can't, it doesn't matter for the Bradys, the Marinos, the Mannings. Uh, you can put two F-16s off the edge and it won't make any difference. He, he'll just step up or slide around. You have to get people under his feet. You could not rush Dan Marino. We had 
Bruce Smith and 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 Cornelius Bennett. Biscuit, you know, yeah. yeah, the two of the best in football. One's a Hall of Famer, and the other should be. And 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 nothing bothered him with them. We had to stunt and get people up the middle. Eventually, move Bruce inside in critical situations where he could overpower a guard. You have to have pressure underneath. Nobody, no quarterback likes pressure under his feet, and so. You have to have those three things on the defensive line. Without without those, you're not going to the big dance. And then I would say you need, uh, depending on your system, if you're a 3-4 system, you need a power inside linebacker. You need a guy that can can stop the run. If you're a 4-3, if you're a Dungy-type system or a Carroll-type system, um, it, you really need, you need the weak, linebacker because he's the guy that everything in the run game is funneled to. And uh, so he's going to make plays. So you have to have a Keekly, uh, whether he plays in the middle or, or at will is immaterial, but you got to have him. And, uh, and then uh, believe it or not, the two safeties have to be really good players. And if you have a Bob Sanders, a Troy Palomalo, someone like that, you're, you're, you've taken a big step, toward winning a championship because the strong safety, if he can go two ways, if he can play back and cover two and come up and stop the run, play in the box, if he has to be the eighth man in the box and he can do that well and, and change games, then you're in clover. I, I think having those things is an absolute must. The others you can build around. It's really when it when it all boils down to it, when you think about, uh, we use the color scheme, blue being the best players, yeah. red being, you're familiar with it. I'm sure most of our listeners and viewers are too. Um, you have to have at least 12 blues and reds on your team to win a championship. That's that's a metric that that never fails. It's, it's true year in and year out. That's funny. So having worked in Carolina under Tony Softly, Tony – always talked about we need to have 10 to 12 blues to be able to be at a championship level. The year we went to the Super Bowl in 2003, we had that primarily on defense. But when I go back and I look at this team building formula that you've constructed, to me, it stands the test of time because I look at your teams in Buffalo. I look at the team in Carolina that you build. They went to the NFC championship game. When I was in Jacksonville, we went to the championship game. And then when I look at the Colts, I can just check off the boxes on all of those things. Um, let's start at quarterback, though. When you talk about the core traits, because you mentioned something to me that kind of rang a bell when you said, I need a winner, not a manager. But when we get in critical situations in the playoffs, I need a quarterback that can go win the game. There are a lot of guys now that are being paid like a franchise quarterback, but you and I both know they don't have that capability. And so, what what identifies like what stands out when you talk about that winner? How do you see that? What 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 do they do that shows you that okay, this guy's the winner that I can build around? Well, it isn't money, as you know. The money is is just a function of who's in the market in a given year. That's that's why the players' union fought so hard for free agency. But um, I really think that playing quarterback boils down to some very simple core things. The first is accuracy. You have to be accurate. And, and that means um, 
putting the ball where it has to be so the defender can't get it. You've you got to be able to throw people open. That's what throwing people open means, putting the ball where the defender can't get it, even though he's got good coverage. That's number one. Number two, you have to be able to get it out quickly. I was um, on my serious radio show. We talked to Dante Skarnecki a couple of weeks ago, and it was just I, I could have done three hours with him. It was so educational. And I said to him, how in the heck were you able to um, take care of Freeney and Mathis every year. You know, we, we could rush everybody else. We couldn't really get to Tom very often. And he said, well, we had Tom check Freeney on virtually every play. And if Freeney had a step on the on the left tackle, the ball was coming out. So, <laughs> you know, and I saw the plays in my mind's eye. Yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> I wish I knew that then. <laughs> but, but uh uh, he has to be able to get the ball out and get it out accurately and, and without a lot of wasted motion. It's, it's really hard. You have to have a quarterback who has a cannon for an arm if his release isn't quick. Kerry Collins did have yep. the so-called hitch. It wasn't a hitch. It was simply a way he cocked the ball. But the bottom line is that his arm was so strong he could compensate for it. Plus, we were a down-the-field offense. So that that helped to some degree, but um, he's got to get it. He's got to be accurate. He's got to get it out there quickly, and most importantly, he has to process quickly. If he can do those three things, arm strength is not an issue. Not now, you'd want him to be able to drive the ball to the outside from the far hash. You know, you want him to make the seventeen-yard out throw, but. You know, every year we hear in the pre-draft hype, this guy has a cannon for an arm. He can throw it 60 yards. So what? (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. (laughs) How many times do you throw it 60 yards? (laughs) Not very often. And and, and so, um, you know, if you have a Mahomes-like arm, that's great. That's tremendous. But the thing I think that sets Mahomes apart is that he can throw accurately from so many different platforms. You know, he throws it sidearm, he throws it three-quarter, he throws it off his back foot, he throws it when he's running. Those are the, th- the accuracy is what's stunning about him from so many different platforms. So I think those things and then the ability to make the play in the clutch, that's what winners do. Um, Marv um, said, Marv Levy said to me one time, it just in passing, he said, you know, we, we were, I forget who we were looking at. It was a college player. Might have been Joe Montana with, with, the, with the 49ers. He threw sort of an ugly pass, you know, and, and I said, ooh, that, that wasn't beautiful. And, and Marv said, you know what? Winners find a way to win. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> they do. And they, they find a way to make a play. And, and Jim Kelly's a prime example of that. Um, it, it didn't matter how many times you knocked him down, he'd get right back up and find a way to make a play. Famous, no one ever saw this because it was a play in the USFL, but it epitomizes Jim Kelly. We were with the Chicago Blitz, Marvin and I, and John Butler, who you remember, the late John yeah. Butler. And, uh, and John was on the phone upstairs, and I was down on the sideline next to Marvin. We had Doug Plank playing safety, and we called the Blitz, and Doug came free. 
Jim Kelly's playing for the Houston Gunslingers, and 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 he, uh, gamblers, excuse me, and Doug hit him right under the chin. He would have been ejected today. Hit him right under the chin. You could see the blood fly out. Jim was falling backwards and went Choom! and threw a touchdown pass. <laughs> and I turned to Marvin and said, "Holy bleep!" <laughs> and John, I could hear John upstairs, "Holy." <laughs> What just happened? <laughs> well, Jim Kelly just happened. You know, that that's those guys have that special knack of making plays. Tom Brady, as you know, I, I broadcast uh I was the color guy on radio for ESPN's game of the week in the NFL for about six years and loved doing it. And we had so many New England games, and nobody in the history of football is as good as Tom Brady. When you give him a break, you make a mistake. Yeah. Marv used to call them gifts. You give the opposition a gift. He cashes in at Neiman Marcus, man. He, he, <laughs> is, he takes your bank account. He doesn't go to the gas station. You know, He's coming at he, I, No one has the killer instinct of Tom Brady that I've ever seen. So it's those special qualities that allow them to make plays in the clutch that set the real winners apart. And, and that it's hard to, it's hard to put a metric on that other than how many times have they led their team from behind? How well did fourth quarter passing doesn't tell you the story. How many times have they won a game when they're behind in the fourth quarter? I think Peyton and Brady lead the, lead that statistic all time. I could be wrong on that, but I know they're way up there. How many times has he, has he led his team from behind in the fourth quarter uh, when the game's on the line, you know, who's better than Tom Brady in the playoffs? I mean, nobody. So Montana, um, you know, Bradshaw, you keep naming the hall of famers. That's, that's what set, that's, that's what sets them apart. Yeah, the common denominator. And, yep. you know, it's, it's funny when you, you talk about the quarterback position because I feel like because of who you've been around and who you've been exposed to, uh, from a scouting perspective, you keep the standard very, very high. And I think it's easy in our business to want to do it right, particularly on this side, to want to get right, hey, this guy's going to be the first-round pick or whatever. But if you're pure to the standard of what you're talking about, there are not many guys that deserve to be – at the top, at the top of the board, when you talk about the standard and those four things that you, you talk about. So from Peyton Manning, does Peyton Manning not only check off those boxes, but when I think of quick processing, I think of Peyton and the amount of stuff that it appeared that he had on his plate and he was able to direct that offense. That's what you're looking for, the quarterback position from an intellect standpoint. Well, you'd like it. Um, you're right about a high standard. Um we had a, a, a young intern with us years ago in, in Indianapolis who was very bright and, and went on to, to do a lot of good things. And we were talking about quarterbacks and we were going through the quarterbacks that were listed in the draft. And I kept saying, no, nah, I'm not excited about this guy. I really, you know, he's okay, but he's, he's, he's not what you want. And he said, Bill, can anybody play? I said, very few. <laughs> you know, many are called, but few are chosen. <laughs> It's, it, it, the standard is high. Now, Peyton had really so much on his plate that I don't think 
other than he and Brady, we've ever seen a quarterback manage the game that way. I don't mean manage the game in a, in a pejorative sense, manage the offense and conduct the offense and set the protections and change the formations and go to the audibles and all of the kind of thing that those guys did. And that's because they were such great workers and, and, and their preparation was exquisite. Um, that's not entirely necessary. I think as long as you can process on Sunday and you can get in and out of the audibles that the coaching staff has given you, someone else can call the protections if necessary. You know, really offensive yeah. lineman, the center can do that. Um, so you're not necessarily looking for Einstein and, um, and, 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 and the, even the, the test score or GPA doesn't, doesn't necessarily correlate those rare people like Brady and Manning have the, have that innate capacity to see the game in a different way than most of us do. But that's not necessary as long as a quarterback has the other things. The most important thing from in terms of leadership is work ethic. Is he going to be there the first one in and the last one out literally and working seven days a week literally? Because if he doesn't, then no one else is going to. So that part of it is is a given. Um, but I don't, I, you know, I wouldn't expect, a, a, for example, a college quarterback to have the capacity to do what Manning and Brady did. So it, what's funny is of late, we're seeing in the last ten years, teams are going to the Super Bowl with the quarterback that is playing on his rookie deal, and so it requires. Um, it appears that it requires the offense coordinator and the head coach to be able to kind of, I don't want to say dumb it down, but have a little flexibility and adaptability when it comes to playing with a young quarterback. If you were in the business today and you were tasked with building uh, a Super Bowl team with a young quarterback, like what changes um, now compared to yesteryear when, when you're building a team with a young guy and you got that five-year window to get it done? Yeah, I well, you hope you have the five-year window. <laughs> And, and and you're right because the championship, the life of a championship team is about six years, you know, before you you really have to turn a lot of people over. Um, what what I've what I term it is that the the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach have to be two crutches for the rookie quarterback. Literally, he has to be able to lean on them in practice in preparation especially in the game, to be able to say, okay, um, what was it that uh, Donald said last year, I'm seeing ghosts? Yes. Well, you and I know that that's very common. How many times have you said, have we looked at tape and said, boy, that guy's seeing ghosts? Well, Donald gave voice to it, and and fans were shocked, and media were shocked by it when when it's very, very common. Very common. So – you go to the sidelines and he says to the coast coach, I'm seeing ghosts. And he said, fine, that's don't worry about it. Let's, let's look at the, let's look at the pictures and I'll show you what to key on so that you don't see ghosts. So they, they have to be crutches literally for the quarterback uh, or training wheels. If it, it may be a little bit better analogy so that he's able to steer that bicycle in the right direction and perform at a high level uh, without worrying about 
going off the road because he doesn't process something or he's not he, he doesn't have enough um, experience to to see something correctly. You hope that as time goes by, and the best ones do this, they make they don't make the same mistake twice. Once they've seen a defense, once they've seen something that's confused them, and the coach has talked it through with them, then they say, "Okay, I've got it," and and now we go. And one measure that you use in terms of metrics and talking about whether they're qualified or not is to see whether they can learn and retain. Re- retention is, is is the key. But if you're playing with a young quarterback, that means you're investing in defense, and which is good. You, you absolutely have to to win a Super Bowl. Um, the quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator, or the head and or the head coach, have to be training wheels for him to help him navigate the road. Yeah, it's um it's a tricky thing because now what we're seeing is we're seeing these guys that are going to the Super Bowl on rookie contracts, but. Year three ends up being critical because now you make the decision on whether to extend the fifth-year option. And then you have to make a decision, do we want to pay significant sums of money for the quarterback? And if the quarterback is just, as we've talked about early on the podcast, a manager, how far are we willing to go with a managerial type at the position? Or are we willing to go back in the draft and see if we can find the right guy? If you're a decision maker, how – are you balancing that? Do we just keep the guy that we know is just okay? Or are we willing to always search for great at that position? Um, I wanted to do both. I'm risk averse, number one. So I'm not going to let the guy who's functional go until I have somebody that I know is better to replace him. Uh, But if he's only functional, and you're convinced after three years that he's not going to take you to the promised land. Um, and it, it's hard to make that judgment. It's really, it's, I mean, that's a hard judgment to make. Um, but if you're convinced, then you better go looking uh, for the ultimate answer. But I would not, uh, I would not unload the guy that I have, uh, especially if he's on a rookie contract where I have rights to him technically for, for two more years uh, or maybe three I wouldn't let him go until I was sure that the replacement was on board. So that brings me to a conversation because there's been a lot of like conversation around Dak Prescott because Dak Prescott is one of the few quarterbacks that has been on a franchise deal. And so from the outside, it appears that the Cowboys are either uncertain or they can't reach an agreement based on like how he views his value and how the Cowboys view the value long term. When you're a team like this and now that your quarterback is on the franchise deal, is it imperative to get them signed to the long term, or are you telling your scouts we have to be on the hunt for the next one just in case? Well, it's it's a very interesting question. I think you, you you're dealing with two different situations here, apples and oranges. The apple is, can you get them done on a long term deal that's that 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 works for you financially, and and it, and it has to work financially because everything else that the team does financially flows from that. Um, both expenditure of cash and and financial chemistry. You know, if, if, if a quarterback who everybody in the locker room knows is just an average guy gets $30 million, all of a sudden yeah. <laughs> you and I are sitting next to each other, our locker's going, what? <laughs> what just happened here? I better call my agent. 
<laughs> if he's worth 30 million, what am I worth? That's financial chemistry. And there's, there's a lot of that, 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 um, that goes on. So you have to worry about that. And then the other, of course, is the expenditure of cash and the cap. The beauty of the cap from the standpoint of ownership is that it doesn't forgive and it doesn't forget. You know, you're going to pay for your mistakes. Um, so that's one part of it. The other part of it is that um, you may have heard this from John Butler. We always told our scouts every year is a new year. We're looking for everything every year. We're looking for the best football players we can get. We're going to try and accumulate as many draft choices that we can get. And and if it's a quarterback, so be it. And then Ron Wolf um, always said, and he was absolutely right, draft a quarterback every second year or so, no more than three years apart, so that you're you're backed up and you're ready to go if something happens. Unfortunately for us in our last year in Indianapolis, we weren't prepared to do that, and and we and we paid the price for it. Um, that's interesting. There's another team building thing that I've I've just noticed and always wanted to ask you about is you appear to be okay with investing in a running back in the draft. Um, your history suggests that you will take a running back in the first round and you're okay with where there are a lot of people on the outside that are like, oh, you can find one later in the thing. Uh, look at all the teams that are doing it. Uh, just talk a little bit about your philosophy when it comes to the running back position and whether you would just rather draft one high and just kind of ride him out and then draft another one high or draft him and then pay him when it comes time to kind of pay pay the bill at the end of his contract. Well, let's put paying aside because that becomes another, that, that's oh, another is. issue. Okay. Uh, drafting is the key issue. Would I draft one? Of course. Edger and James. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Joseph Adai. Yes. I mean, they, they, they're great players. Edger and a Hall of Famer. Uh, if, if that player, Barry Sanders, Saquon Barkley, I mean, keep naming him, uh, Christian McCaffrey, if he's a game changer, by all means, take him. Why would you not want a game changer just because he plays running back? I don't understand that. <laughs> you can give him the ball 25 to 30 times a game in the run game and the passing game. Why would you why would you want a lesser player in that position when you could get a game changer? So that, that's always been my philosophy. If the guy's a game changer, take him and don't look back and be happy to get him. So, um I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. So so that's where it gets muddy because you says it's, it's an apples to Orange's conversation, drafting them and paying them. Because the conversations on the outside, they kind of diminish the value of the running back. But when we're talking about building a championship team and the common denominator with your teams, you always had a marquee running back, a guy that could get it done. So where is the lack of valuation or appreciation from the running back coming from? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Okay. None of it makes sense to me. Okay. Because... I, I see Barry Sanders. I see Thurman Thomas. I, we, I mean, we got, he was a first round pick. Obviously we got him in the second round because of the injury. Um, Edger and James, um, Todd Gurley. I mean, you know, keep naming him. Now, if you're, if you're in a Shanahan offense, I get that because the design of that offense uses running backs who have a special skill set which is one cut downhill run through linebackers, don't run around them. Um, and, and that's great. I mean, if it, that gives them an advantage. They can, they can use that money and that draft slot on someone else. Um, but, you know, the average career length, if you play two years in the NFL, is six. 
you if you draft a running back in the first round, you have it for six years, five years on the contract and one year on a franchise tag if you'd like to use it. And that's about the length of his career. So you have to be ready to recycle those guys. But I, I wouldn't pass a game changer under any circumstances. Now, whether you pay him or not at, at the end of five years or six years is another question. That's that's entire. And, and the odds are pretty good that you would not, you yeah. know, because they don't have long careers. There's they take a lot, a lot of hits and, and they wear down. So uh, um, that would that's a different question. And that's hard to let a great player go like that. I mean, it broke my heart to let Edgerin go. And and we probably kept him one year too long, in, in all honesty, mm-hmm. if you looked at it from a purely a purely dollars and cents standpoint. But he meant so much to the team that we didn't want to let him go. But that that's the orange part of it. The apples part of it, I'd take him again in a, in a heartbeat. <laughs> no, that, that, that's great. Because you really cleared up something because not only did you um, – kind of talk about the philosophy of the running back and how they're important. But then you also talked about from a, a data and metric standpoint, like, look, average career two years, but it stretches out to six. Well, that matches up with a first-round contract, basically. So it yes. makes sense to take the best player in the first round, ride them all the way out, and then at the end of that deal, look for the next one because the odds suggest that he's not going to be able to sustain that level of play. Um, last thing on offense, uh, you talked about wide receivers and number one wide receiver. And the number one wide receiver has to be able to beat all comers, coverage, double coverage, elite corners. The number one really has to be a true number one. Explain, explain that a little bit. Well, he's got to have enough size to withstand a, a lot of punishment because you're going to get him the ball a lot. Uh, secondly, he's got to have enough speed to make plays down the field. It's hard to, it's hard to play with a speed deficient wide receiver and, and, and be very consistent. And if he's a if he's a one, he's going to get the ball a lot. You know, the quarterback, as you know, trusts wide receivers. That's a chemistry position. They've got to trust each other. They and 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 they do develop chemistry with certain receivers. So, um, and there are always an, uh, anomalies. I mean, Michael Michael uh, Irvin didn't run real well, but he did other things exceptionally well. Um, but most importantly, he's got to be able to separate against man-to-man coverage, tight man-to-man coverage, and press. And his hands have to be totally, completely reliable. He has to have those two things. If he doesn't have those two things, the likelihood of success and certainly the likelihood of being a number one for a championship team is not good. It's funny. I was listening to your podcast, the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. And uh, I was listening to the series uh, Life of a Scout, and you were talking about that. And you were talking about how you broke the percentages down for wide receivers. It had to be a 90-plus percentage catch rate for them to be on the board. And they had to have all these things, universal characteristics and traits and and that. So it's interesting that you brought that up because it's kind of a time-tested theory in terms of being able to catch the ball and being consistent in those things. And now with the metrics, because you seem like you're one of the first to embrace, uh, they call it analytics now, we call it metrics or data. It seems like you guys were on the, the forefront of being able to do that. When it comes to receivers, how do you track that? Would you have your guys kind of track their catch rate throughout this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Back in the Buffalo days when we didn't have all of the computer capability that we have now, yes, we had every scout track everybody's 
catch rate throughout. And you can get it off the tape now. It's much easier to do. You can have you know an intern do it. Uh, but but the bottom line is that you better they better be able to catch the ball and they better be able to do it consistently and they better be able to do it in the crowd. And Tom Moore, the great offensive coordinator for us in Indianapolis, who's still coaching now in Tampa Bay, who's a he's a, a football a philosopher. And he and he says things so clearly and concisely that, that it, it, sometimes you it'll snap your head back. We were talking in the draft about a wide receiver, and somebody said, you know, he can really run and he's good and he can separate. Now the hands need work, but we can develop his hands. And so I said, what what's his catch ratio? So somewhere around seventy nine or eighty, some seventy nine or eighty two percent somewhere in there. And Tom said. We have the most accurate quarterback in football. Why would we want to give him somebody who can't catch? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It, 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 it's so true. I mean, it's so true when we talk about development. Like, there's only a small level of development in certain areas that a guy can improve on when they get right. to the pros. And so, uh, in a way, I kind of believe, like, a guy is what he is, and how does it fit? I heard you on your podcast talk about prospects are 50% of those universal characteristics height, weight, speed, uh, quickness, agility, and balance, explosiveness, aggressiveness, um, competitiveness, all of those things. And then it's 50% how they fit into the scheme. Taking that because of your success drafting pass rushes, Bruce Smith and Dwight Freeney and all those guys, what are the core characteristics that you look for in those guys that are hunting the quarterback? Well, it isn't size because nobody could be more disparate than Bruce Smith and Dwight Freeney. They <laughs> weighed about the same, but the height <laughs> differential is about five inches and the arm length differential is, is pretty good too. Um, Robert Mathis, of course, was also on the, yeah. on the short side, so six one or so, and, and really in the 245 range. Um, so the key is get off quickness, first step quickness. Can you beat an offensive tackle off the ball with your first step quickness? That's critical. And go back to what Dante Scarnecchia told me about Brady. He was checking to make sure if Freeney had beaten the offensive tackle on the first step, the ball was coming out or Tom was going somewhere else. So um, first step quickness is critical. Get off. Secondly, um, can you translate speed into power? Because really good offensive tackles, as you know, will get to the junction point. And, and they'll get to the junction point maybe sooner than you do or certainly in tandem with you. And at that point, you have to be able to translate that speed into power and blow through them to the quarterback. That's critical. Uh, because if you can't, you'll just stick to them like Velcro and they win. Um, so get off, translate speed to power, and then the ability to change direction. Because if you can't change direction, you're a one-trick pony as a rusher. All you've got is an outside rush and maybe an arm over. If you can change direction, if you can spin, if you can, if you can head fake and change direction and, and go under and things like that, then you've got a repertoire that makes it easy for an offensive tackle to handle. And I, and I suspect that most fans really don't know what goes into um, preparing each week, but the offensive tackles keep books mm -hmm. on the, on the rushers 
just like pitchers keep books on hitters in baseball and vice versa. The rushers keep books on, on offensive tackles. So you got to have those three things, get off the ability, you know, to power through and, and, and change a direction. If you've got that, you, you got a chance to be pretty good. You've been very generous with your time. I have two more questions for you. One of those is coming off of your pass rusher thing. You mentioned about offensive tackles and, it used to be in yesteryear, there was a distinct left tackle and then kind of the plugger, pounder, mauler, brawler played at right tackle. Well, now we're seeing more teams deploy their pass rushers at that left defensive end spot or that left outside linebacker spot to really expose him against the right tackle. Now when you're looking at offensive tackles, is there any difference between what you're looking at right and left? Because uh, you talked about athleticism for the right tackle. Yeah, it, it, I, I think it's the, the difference is minuscule. You know, I, I remember looking at Mike McGlinchey at Notre Dame. My son's on the staff there. And, and I looked at him and, and I said, you know, he, he's, he's going to be, uh, I think, a pretty good left tackle, but I'm, I'm not sure he's powerful enough to be a right tackle. Well, he plays right tackle and he does pretty darn well and went to the Super Bowl because what's happened now is that so many people have spread the field. We play in 53 and a third yards now. The run game is, is in many respects, zone heavy. So you don't have the double team kick out anymore. You don't have to post up a, a, a defensive lineman. You don't have to do things in the run game as an offensive tackle that you used to do in the days of power. Um, not, not everybody uh, is zone oriented, but a great many of them are. And, and 60% of the time you're facing nickel because you're in three wides. That's the, that's the metric. So if 60% of the time you're, you're performing one skill as opposed to some other skill, wh why would we spend a lot of time worrying about the other skill? <laughs> you better be able to pass rush, uh, pass block, excuse me, because 60% of the time the likelihood is you're doing that. And, and so now you're really looking for pass blocking as the number one criteria for an offensive tackle. If he can't, set and move his feet and do all the things you want to tackle to do. Um, it's hard for him to play. Um, you mentioned something because I know you're an avid baseball fan. And it's funny that you, you mentioned that. I heard that on your podcast. I've heard you kind of talk about baseball references. When I played for Dick Duran in Jacksonville, uh, he talked about building a football team is just like building a baseball team. You got to be all championship teams in every sport. You got to be strong right down the middle. And you mentioned a, a spot that I feel like has been a little devalued uh, the safety position, the free safety and strong safety. And with Jamal Adams kind of having his impasse with the Jets and those things, can you just talk about the value of having um, a game changer, a big-time playmaker at safety, whether it's free safety or strong safety? Yeah. Ironically enough, Dick was a professional baseball player. As you probably know, he played in the Red Sox team <laughs> as well as being a great running back. Uh, the – the strong safety position, I think, is is one that is becoming more and more important in this game because the more we see the athletic quarterback and the more we see the option come into the game, which didn't exist, what, six years ago, five years yeah. ago? Yeah. We now have to have a player in the secondary 
who could either run the alley. I'm not a big fan of running the alley, by the way. I think it's just too far for anybody to go. I don't care whether it's Bob Sanders or Troy Palomano or whomever. That's a mismatch against Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd rather not have him in the alley. So you, you need to have him close to the line of scrimmage who can cover in zone, who can cover a slot in man and and press a slot if necessary and absolutely take quarterback or pitch and and be able to tackle uh, 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 Lamar Jackson in space or tackle Cam Newton in space in order to play solid defense because now it's 11 on 11. It's not 11 on 10 anymore the way it used to be in the run, certainly in the run game. Mm-hmm. So who is that guy? Well, it's Simmons from Clemson. And I think we're going to see more and more of those guys coming into the league because the colleges have to deal with that just as we do now. Bill Parcells used to say we're we're captives of what the colleges send us. Well, the colleges are sending us quarterbacks who can run the option and throw like like the you know they had the man with the golden arm, <laughs> and 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 so they're going to send us strong safeties. I think who can play that role. And I I I've said I was you know for good or for ill. I think Simmons is a strong safety. He's not a linebacker. He's a strong safety in the modern modern game. And if you want to play him back, as Clemson did at times, they played him back deep in cover two. That's great, too, and that's a bonus. But if, if he can do those things around the line of scrimmage and still play good zone defense, I think that guy is invaluable. Hey, this, is, this has been great. Um, it's kind of been like a graduate degree. And, Scotty, I've heard a bunch of different things. Uh, from everybody, I felt like I've got a bunch of your philosophies uh, secondhand. So to have an opportunity to talk to you has been fantastic. And the one thing you mentioned on your podcast, you mentioned that in Indianapolis, your goal was to try and have your draft board with 100 or fewer prospects. I think on the outside, people would say that's absolutely crazy. Why did you want it so skinny? Why did you want it so, so thin if you could get it that way? Yeah, we never quite got there, but it was an it was an aspirational goal. We'd end up with 105, 107, something like that. Um, bottom line is, we want wanted the bar to be very high, and we wanted to be very sure. Uh, you've probably heard Tony Softly, by the way, who's a great scout and a great administrator, yeah. say this: You want to be wrong for the right reasons. If we're wrong, let's be wrong for the right reasons. Let's know everything about this guy. Let's make sure that we know that he we, he checks every box for us. Let's don't be in a position where we shrug our shoulders and say, okay, well, we like him a little bit. Oh, let's put him in the seventh round or let's put him in the sixth round. Um, it's just, to me, that just muddied the waters. Be sure about everybody. And, and, and you can't, you can't be sure about 200 players. You can't be sure about 150 players some of those are throw-ins so we didn't we didn't want to waste the choice necessarily so the the more information we could have the smaller the board was the better we felt we could manage it on draft day and we did a pretty good job of that because it is with fewer names up there it's much easier to manage make trades and zero in on people so that that part of it was just part of our philosophy um because we felt like the fewer names we had, 
the more we knew about each guy. I love it. Thanks so much. One thing is for certain, you're one of the best who have ever done it from the evaluation standpoint. Uh, everyone should pay attention to your podcast, Inside Football Podcast with Bill Poling. It is a master's degree in the evaluation and team building process. Thanks so much for joining us. I love the conversation. Thanks so much, Mr. Poling. Th- thanks, Bucky. It's my pleasure. Okay, I'm going to say this uh, firsthand. I've learned so much uh, from Mr. Polian on the outside, a lot of contacts and cross kind of like we cross paths, like at different times in Buffalo, they talked about him. He was well revered for the way that he built that team in Buffalo in Carolina. Uh, there were a lot of scouts who kind of remained from when he was there and he built that franchise from the ground up. And, you know, to have the conversation with him about team building and quarterbacks and the way the scouting process works was outstanding. Hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, that conversation because I know that I learned a ton and hopefully you did as well. So that's going to do it for the show. Be sure to check out the Mood Sticks TV show, which will air on NFL Network at 6 p.m. Eastern. Also, we have re-airs on Friday at 4 p.m., 8 p.m., midnight, and Saturday at 4 a.m. and 8 a.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in next week for the baseball shows. We're sitting down with Cubs general manager Jed Hoyer, Miami Marlins manager Don Manley, Hall of Famer John Smoltz, and many, many more to kind of talk about the crossover between baseball and football and the team building process. Also, the video portion of the Mel Tucker interview will be available soon on YouTube and NFL.com. Be sure to download the Mood of Six podcast at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Talk to you soon. rent a car a house even that little black party dress so why not rent the stuff you need for your home too the place to do it is errands choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love online or in store pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever but if life changes you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new rent what you need it's better at errands approval not guaranteed restrictions apply see store for details All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander.
Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Do you have a digital mindset? Check out Season 3 of This is Digital. Season 3 of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including driving profitable growth in enterprise software and how the new sports fan experience can drive revenue. Featuring guests like Chris D'Agostino of Databricks and Scott Crable of Tama Bravo. Check out the latest and greatest on Season 3 of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com.